thank you for joining us at a brand new episode at Hey Man, It's Okay. I'm one of your hosts, Sky. And I'm Ryan Heapy. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist out of Newport Beach, California. And uh, we're here to explore the men's mental health field a bit. So how's it going, Sky? Pretty good. How about you? My week's been been uh, pretty good. I've been walking a lot, which has been really awesome. I feel really energized and happy. But, you know, of course, I still have my coffee here. <laughs> Explain a little bit about why you're walking. Ah, uh, yeah. So for the month of November, the organization Movember, who we actually had an episode and we recorded with them. I'm moving for November. So what I'm doing is this month, I'm trying to get 60 miles to represent the 60 men that die every hour by taking their own life and trying to bring awareness to suicide, bring awareness to men's mental health. And I've been posting about it hashtag move for Movember. It's been really cool. It's been really nice to see the support and see people checking in on me to make sure I'm getting my daily goals. And right now I'm actually ahead. So that's pretty exciting. Right on. That's awesome. I love it. And you know, I think uh, exercise is one of the key, if not one of the best things that we can do for our mental health. So uh, the more we can move, the more we can we lift weights and, and all that kind of stuff, the better our uh, neurons are firing upstairs. So yeah, it's been really nice. I felt some mental clarity and it's given me some time to kind of like meditate while I was walking and figure out kind of what I am going to do next. There you go. Meditation, my other favorite. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I you know, after doing that guided meditation with you, it makes me want to try all different kinds of meditation. So it's been really cool. Well, today we're here to talk about men's mental health. We're here to talk about mental health in general, mental health of, you know, someone who is a veteran. And we brought in somebody who owns a production company for podcasts. And it is the, I got to get the name right, Flores Production Company. We brought Johnny Flores on. Welcome, Johnny, to our podcast. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming. We really appreciate you joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for our guests? We know we kind of chit chat a little bit beforehand, but let our guests know who you are and what it is you do and why you're here with us today. Yeah, professionally, I do podcast production. So I help develop podcasts for usually businesses and professional associations. And then under my banner of Flores Podcast Productions. Started off as a side hustle. I used to have a podcast about Sacramento where I'm based. I did that for several years and that sort of snowballed past guests started asking me to help as they were moving up into leadership positions, started asking me to help them make podcasts for their employers. And then I had a job that was terrible. It was really toxic, toxic work environment. And it was an animal control. And I went off on this person and And I always would tell my staff under me, like, don't go to their level. Like, we win by not being them. So just kill them with kindness. And I went off on this person in a bad way. And I was like, I as soon as they left, I was like, I can't work here anymore. And I called my girlfriend and I was like, I think I need to quit. And she's like, I've been telling you to quit. I've been telling you to start your own business. Like, go for it. So I did it. But uh, yeah, on a personal note, yeah, I was a veteran. I was in the U.S. Navy. I was a hospital corpsman from uh, 94 to 98. And after that, I worked in ERs and the medical field for a good 17 years, something like that. And then, yeah, left that because I was so unhappy. I hate, it's nothing against the medical field. It just wasn't for me. I've always been kind of a creative person and the medical field was not my forte. I should have never gone into it, but get it, tried to make it as an illustrator. Do you have a medical degree? No, I mean, I have, it's basically a a certificate for the Navy. It's the equivalent of like ER tech, medical assistant, phlebotomy, stuff like that. What is a hospital corpsman? Is that what you said? Yeah, hospital corpsman. They're basically medics, but you basically, you're kind of, you're almost a nurse, but you're not. Like there's things nurses can do, like 
push certain medications that hospital corpsmen can't. You're kind of you're a combat almost medic. like a tech. You work in the hospitals, like you work in clinics. There's so much there. The radiol, like they do the radiology, they do the lab tech stuff. I mean, it just really depends on what your what your training is. I mostly worked in ER. I was I did EMT paramedic duty on Camp Pendleton and worked in a clinic. So it just yeah, it just depends on what you want to pursue. Was some of seen seen some of that trauma? Was that difficult on on your mental health? Like I can only imagine, like every day being in an ER, seeing you know, it's it's probably almost always somebody's like worst day when they're coming in. When I was in the Navy, no, there was only one that really young guy. I I it still gets to me when I think about it sometimes because he was so young and he got in a really bad accident and someone tried to cut a corner on a blind corner and just head on hit him and he was sitting there talking to me. And then as soon as they, he knew he was going to die, like he told us, like, he's like, tell my, I think his sergeant was there. Somebody was there, was like, he kept telling me and him, make sure you tell my wife I love her. Dash was, hit him in the thighs. When the fire department pulled the dash off, he just went out. So like, that was, I didn't realize it at the time, because I was like, I don't even know if I was 21. But it was when I got into the ERs as a civilian that, and I worked in one ER in LA that was like, we saw so much gang violence, like gang violence on gang violence. And there was a lot of like people with addiction issues. And that was, that was harder. I'm, there, another time this young guy died in a car accident, his friend was driving and they were drag racing down San Fernando Boulevard. If you, in LA, you know how it's just a huge industrial road. And the driver had lost control of the car and spun out and just smashed into the, the pole on the passenger side. And like the impact was so hard the safety glass when it shattered went through the kid's cheek and it was like a shotgun blast. And I had to go out with the doctor. I mean, he died on scene, but they were trying to resuscitate him all the way to the ER. And I remember he was young. I mean, he was a little younger than me. I was like 23 at the time. He was maybe 19, 20. And, and I had to go out with the doctor when they told his, he was a really good kid. Like his pastor was there and he, he was saying how like this kid, works two jobs to help support his family because they were they were his family were predominantly Spanish speaking and he was the only one he was the oldest and the one that spoke English Spanish and English and just saying like what a good kid he was just all this stuff he did their community and their church and all this stuff and and like when they told his mom I had never seen somebody it was like animalistic just break down just like I still think about it to this day like yeah and once in a while it pops in my head I was like Man, I've never, I've since then, I've never seen just like such a core emotion. Anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have some uh, clients that are in the medical field, like doctors and psych NPs and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I know a lot of them kind of develop sort of compassion fatigue. You do. Um, at least that's what we call it, you know, in, in the psych world. Yeah. I got a really and, gallows humor, uh-huh. but I got passion fatigue when I worked in animal control. I got it bad. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is basically just being so jaded to kind of trauma that it doesn't affect you almost at some point. And what's interesting with some of the clients that I've had, it's not until their own mental health becomes an issue in their life, and, you know, whether that's through a relationship, anxiety or, you know, or, or their own trauma. Yeah. But then, you know, I kind of I had a, a doctor once who told me he didn't really take people's anxiety or really their mental health issues too seriously, you know, when back when he was working in the ER. And then he had his own struggles and all of a sudden 
sudden he had a brand new respect, you know, for how serious people's mental health, you know, yeah. can really be. Yeah. No. Um, so do you want to tell us maybe a little bit about your journey into mental health and, and how you've kind of, you know, whether that's getting through some of the things, you know, in the service, you know, working with maybe the VA or, or your own therapist and yeah, kind of, you know, how you've ended up at this place today. Yeah. So after I had undiagnosed PTSD, but it was from childhood and it wasn't from military. Yeah. I had a lot of depression that I didn't know I had. I had probably maybe anxiety that I didn't know I had for decades. And when I left the shelter, it got really bad because I just had like no self-esteem. I just had no belief in myself. And then because I, yeah, it was just such a toxic work environment. I was burned out. I had compassion fatigue and I was, I had a really short fuse. It got a little better after I left my girlfriend because I like didn't have any belief in myself. And uh, there's a lady in town named Tina Reynolds. She owns a marketing business and she's just an amazing person. And she had said, my girlfriend had reminded me that Tina had said, if you ever start your own business, come talk to me. I'll help mentor you. So I did after not, like weeks went by and I was like, this, not, this isn't going to work and all this other stuff. And then I call after my girlfriend was like, call Tina. I called her and she just gave me all this advice and like really bolstered me up. But during the pandemic, it really came to a head. We had a, uh, just, I was super stressed out because I get paid out of marketing budgets for like, for what I do. And all that dried up. <laughs> and then uh, all the contracts that I had got put were paused. We had a bunch of deaths in our families and our fr like friends all throughout t 20 and 21. Were they COVID losses? Some were just like my grandmother who had been in a coma for deck, like over a decade, died at the beginning of the year. And then my girlfriend's uncle who was mentally disabled, but high functioning, but mentally disabled. And she was really close to him. He passed. And now we think it was probably COVID because he didn't, he couldn't, he didn't have like a great, he wasn't good at telling people like when he didn't feel good and stuff like that. And he also took care of his parents who were in their eighties. And yeah, then uh, our cat had to be put down. I lost one of my friends that I was in the Navy with to COVID. Her grandfather who helped my girlfriend's grandfather who helped raise her died very quickly of throat cancer. I mean, it was like he got diagnosed and like weeks later he died. And there was a lot of trauma around that. That side of the family wouldn't let anybody. She couldn't go see him. And then afterwards they did. They did a lot of crappy stuff. And then my dog had to be put down. And then oh, she was just no. so old. And then, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. You were so just really running the, the gambit. Yeah, it was rough. That year was rough. And so. My girlfriend and I actually even split up for a little bit because I just wasn't just handle. I just shut down. I just completely shut down. And uh, it's hard to function when it's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Yeah, just the stress of it all and not being it like financial stress, emotional stress, you know, all that crap. So then I called the VA. It's weird. They have like a one eight hundred hotline number for like mental health, and it's always geared towards suicide. And I get why because a lot of vets do commit suicide, but it's. It's sort of a process you have to go through to like reassure them. I'm like, I don't want to kill myself. I'm just like at a breaking point. You know, I'm like my mental you health. You knew something so needed bad. to change. Yeah. Yeah. So they got me in a therapy group and kindly, and it's a, it's a really amazing if you're a vet and you don't know this, they will also cover your significant other and family. So they'll do couples therapy and families therapy as long as you, the vet, are the one initiating it. So wow, that's uh, great. Yeah. It was a godsend because. I shouldn't say it was a godsend. It was a VA send. <laughs> send. 
So uh, they got me into therapy. They got us into couples therapy. And then they also covered my girlfriend's own therapy too because she she had a pretty rough upbringing also. Yeah, so so we went through all this therapy together and it was just like night and day. But then I don't know why earlier this year, I just sort of shut down again. And well, it was stress. I was stressed out about some budget, you know, like financial stress and some other stuff. And like getting back to like childhood stuff, I was raised by my, my newer therapist was like, you were probably raised by a borderline personality disorder parent. And I had a lot of untreated stuff around that, that I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of what that was, but I was like shutting down again. And, and, uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta reach out to therapy. I, I told my girlfriend, I was like, I don't feel good. Like I, I was like in a really bad place. Like I just, yeah, I was just like, I don't know what happened. Like it was bad. So I, I called the VA and I was hoping to get back into the therapy group I was already in, but the reason they I was allowed to do that is because they were so backlogged. They were just like, go find somebody out in the civilian world. But they paired me up with this therapist. She was amazing. I'm so, I mean, I wish I, I, at the time I was like, crap, I really want to go back to my old therapy group. But it was really amazing that I got assigned to this, this woman. And, and she really, in a way that the other therapist hadn't really dug into like childhood trauma and was like, when I was talking about stuff as she was like, it sounds like your mom was probably borderline personality disorder. And she's like, go look that up. And as soon as she did, I was like, holy crap, this is like my entire childhood. <laughs> it is like everything I experienced. And she really worked through a lot of that stuff with me. And then like the breaking point or like the good breaking point was I just kept isolating. I was like, and I, this particular day, and I was like, God, I don't know what's wrong. Like, I don't want to be around my girlfriend. I don't want to be around my dogs. I don't want to be around anybody. So I just like came in here and lay down. This is our spare room. And I laid down on the bed and and was like, what the hell is going on? And I just started, cause she, let me backtrack a little bit. My therapist was like, you need to start writing letters to yourself as a, like your childhood self and, and tell your little self that like what you went through wasn't your fault. Like, and that what you dealt with wasn't cause you know, as a kid, you don't know, like you think it's your fault, even as you're an adult, like you don't know that. And uh, so just to just to explain to maybe people real fast, you know, borderline personality disorder, it's, it's actually something I specialized in for about a year working almost primarily with people with BPD and, you know, kind of the most effective treatment out there is what's called dialectical behavioral therapy, which is my favorite modality of therapy. And, and it's kind of like a set of skills, but it's it, it can be really transformative for anybody. But borderline itself, and there's actually a book out there that I've recommended to a handful of clients called Understanding the Borderline Mother. It's a fabulous book. And because being raised by somebody with borderline, so, you know, kind of the main features of somebody with borderline is primarily like their inability to regulate their emotions. There's also this massive fear of abandonment. There's difficulty in their own sense of identity, uh, a lot of impulsive decisions and a lot of anger. And so when you're raised by somebody with borderline, you often kind of become their regulator of their emotion. And you're basically walking on eggshells probably your entire childhood. And then you get out. Go I was going to say, like, I would tell people it was I, I, like my comparative was you're in a dark room full of landmines and you're also carrying two grenades with the pins pulled and you know you're going to trip over something. Something's going to detonate. Like that was my childhood, it was like, there was going to be a detonation. I just didn't know when. Yeah. And that's how you end up kind of living in fear, you know, and with, you know, sort of a low self-esteem. And usually then your, your emotions are 
invalidated a lot. You know, every time something good happens, they're telling you that, you know, we, well, you know, don't forget about the other bad thing that happened. Or, you know, and when you skin your knee and you want to go to your mom, she's like, you know, maybe says something like, well, suck it up, you know? And so the positive emotions are kind of brought down and the negative emotions are, are sort of brought up. And so you kind of are operating in this, you know, just like you said, you know, you're, you're walking around a minefield with your own emotions. But then when you grow up and you become, you know, a young adult and you get into your first relationship and now you're having to feel those emotions for the very first time, a lot of times, you know, like something like love and you're almost having to relearn what your emotions are and how to express them. I didn't um, have any, like no. we, we grew up without like our mom never said, I loved you. She never hugged us. My mom's Caucasian and my dad's Mexican American. And I look like my dad and my sister looks like our mom. And like, she would like put him down but but then say like I n- I never talk bad about your dad. It's like yeah you did all the time. But then anytime she didn't like what I was doing, she'd be like you're just like your dad, you know. And so I got this really negative connotation in my head growing up of like it's bad to be brown. It's you know like I'm just like my dad. I'm a piece of shit. And and the funny thing is it wasn't until I joined the Navy because I went to I went to a school. Most of the schools I went to were predominantly Caucasian. So it was just like a, another layer of like, oh, well, you got to be white. Being othered. You know, you got to yeah. be white mm-hmm. to be accepted. And you know, I wasn't a popular kid. And my sister was, and she was Caucasian. You know, my sister was really pretty. And like, so she was really popular in high school. And and it wasn't until I got in the Navy and there was this kid in our class who was from, I want to say New Mexico, a Mexican-American kid. And he was so absolutely proud of his heritage and stuff. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, oh, like, it's okay to be Mexican. Like, that's an okay. It's okay to be brown. Like, it was really eye-opening. And then one of my really good friends, he he was Caucasian and, and Mexican-American like myself. Like, we ended up becoming really good friends. And although he looked more Caucasian, he grew up with, on the Mexican side. And so that was like another entry. And to be like, oh, it's okay. But yeah, I my my 20s and even into my early 30s i didn't understand you know they say like if a bird they've done those studies where if a bird's not inter- introduced to its other species of bird it won't learn it'll come up with its own song and won't know the it won't know the language that the other birds speak and then it's stuck not knowing how to communicate and that's how my emotions were like i i remember one time <laughs> One of my female friends, we were in her car. She was driving. I was in the passenger side and there was a guy she really liked and they had dated a little bit. And then he just like, as the kids would say now, just ghosted her. And we were going somewhere and she, she was trying to talk to me about it. And, um, and then she just started crying. She's like, you know, and I was like, like, I didn't know what to say. I was just like, I'm sorry. She kept crying and like trying to and engage me. And then she was like, what the hell's wrong with you? And she like, kind of smacked me on the shoulder. She's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I was like, what? She's all, look at you. And I was completely pushed up against the door of the car, like kind of pushed into the seat. And I was like, what? She was like, you don't even, like, you can't even handle my emotions. And I was like, I I didn't know what to say. I was like, I didn't even realize I was being this way, you know? So it's, it's very much like we weren't, yeah. Like you were saying, like your, your emotions are, you, the kid, your emotions are secondary to your parents. Like we weren't, we weren't allowed to have our own thoughts or emotions. You know, it was 
what she said was okay. That's how we had to be. So. And then you're left to, to relearn those all on your own, which, yeah. It's, which it's, was hard. Yeah. It was a difficult, yeah, really difficult thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as I was kind of saying before we got into the segue, like I had been doing some of that stuff where you have to like talk to your childhood self and say like, and forgive them and say, like, it wasn't your fault. And like, I was just like in this dark place. And like, I, I came down and I just laid on our bed on this bed and just sort of like bawling. I was like, I don't even know what's wrong. And uh, my girlfriend came in and she was just like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I'm just like, no, I don't know. What, I can't stop crying. Like, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, you know, she was just like, you, like, you need to get something out. You need to get this out. Like, what is it? And then I just started like, it was like a dam broke. And I was just like, my mom, I just was like, my mom beat me. That wasn't my fault. My mom emotionally neglected me. That wasn't my fault. Like just all this stuff just came pouring out and it lasted for a good 15, 20 minutes. And then I finally, like, it was just a weight off of me, like to finally admit, not just admit it, but like accept it. I had never said that out loud to, or internally, I never said anything like that. So it was like a huge shift in myself that I'd never experienced before. It's amazing how freeing it can be when you're honest with yourself. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Especially when someone's there to listen and help guide you through it. Yeah. So that's, you know, kudos to your girlfriend for asking you the right leading questions. Yeah. She works with kids a lot. <laughs> so she works in education. So so she just like fundamentally understands kids. And she has said like, you know, um, she's like, I heard this thing about Gen X. I'm Gen X. Yeah. About how uh, she's like, you were children that had to be you were something like this, like you were kids that had to be 30 year olds. And now that you're 30 year olds, you act like kids. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of true. And, you know, cause you just, I didn't have a childhood. So that was another thing too. You know, I had to like basically co-parent my little sister and my therapist. And I, I didn't even, it was so such a revelation. I'm like, yeah, it's, it is. She was like, you know, the fact that you were so much responsibility was put upon you as a kid so young. She's like, that's a form of abuse. Like when you're not allowed to be a kid and you have to deal with adult things and adult situations, like you're like before you're even like in high school, she's like, that's, that's a form of abuse. And I was like, holy crap. I didn't know that, you know, and now it may, and what she said, it was, makes sense, you know? Well, it's so great that yeah, abuse you, doesn't you, have you, one face. You fa mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know that you found a therapist who could really validate, not only put words to, and really, you know, actually kind of describe your experience, you know, and and why things kind of end up the way they do, but also to really validate, you know, what you were going through back then. And so, kudos to her as well. Yeah, she's an. Uh, it was a really good partnership to have her help me out with all this stuff, understanding it, explaining it to me, showing me like. Just like kind of those breakthrough things of like, your mom was probably this. Go look into it, you know, start doing these exercises to like forgive yourself and like and move on and just accept things and accept yourself. What do you think of the VA's mental health support facilities? Is it adequate? Is it? You know, the VA, it's not as bad as it was, but you really have to advocate for yourself. Otherwise, they sort of won't cover you the way they should. So it is great though, that they have that hotline number. And I would recommend to any vet that, or if you're, if you're a, uh, I can't even think of the, not, it's not, I don't know why subordinates popping in my head, dependent like uh, partner. Oh, okay. yeah. and you have uh, access to like VA health services and stuff like that. And you want therapy, just call the hotline number and let them know like, Hey, I'm not suicidal, but I definitely need help. And they'll get that set up for you pretty 
quick. I will say it is that gets set up quick. It was within a week or two that I had the therapist set up. I'm sure if I had, was suicidal, they, you know, or I had that ideation, like that, those ideas in my head, like they would have done it even faster. But that part of VA health is pretty good. No, it's good to hear. As long as it's in-house, like the therapist they contract with. The problem I ran into last time was, and it was during the pandemic when therapy was just like at its max, you know, everybody was doing therapy and you had to go outside of the, you had to really do the groundwork yourself. You had to find therapists that would knew how to build a VA and could, would take vets. So that was a little longer process. Well, I'm glad they're uh, they're stepping it up, you know, because I, I know it, it needed some stepping up, I think, for a little while, you know, and, and I think, you know, we should always be supporting at any point in their life. It's not just vets, anybody, I, you know, like anybody yeah, that needs true. mental health yeah. services. It shouldn't be so difficult to get it. You know, the insurances should cover it more. Like my girlfriend tried to get therapy through Kaiser and it was such it was such a bullshit process and they make it sound like on their website like oh you can get therapy once but once you're in it and trying to get it set up kaiser doesn't have you could tell it's lip service you know and so our country this country our society doesn't do enough to support mental health they put such a stigma on it for so many years and i think finally we're reaching a point where people are like mental you need to go to therapy a lot of us do you know we wouldn't have the a lot of the societal problems we had if there was better mental health, like an affordable mental health. What would you say to a veteran who's feeling hesitant about reaching out to the VA and is hesitant about trying to care for their mental health, you know, because primarily men being told, oh, man up, you know, don't cry, don't talk about your feelings. How do we approach that subject with a veteran that we know, a veteran in our life? I'm sure we all know somebody. Yeah. One of the things you could say is like one approach would be like, you know, if you were in a unit and you were trying to be the best to support your team and you're, do you think this would help that, you know, like you getting therapy would probably support those next to you that much better if your mental health was better. Another approach would be to like, if you're out is just like, it takes a lot of strength to admit you need help. And there's no, it's not being weak saying, my mental health has reached a breaking point. Like there's no, it takes more strength to do that than just to suck it up and take it, you know, to admit like, Hey, something's wrong and I need help. You know, if your leg was broken, you wouldn't just be like, well, I'm going to keep walking on it and hope it gets better on its own. Like it's not, <laughs> and let them know like, Hey, you know, you can enter, you can get help through the VA, you know, as long as you were as long as you weren't dishonorably discharged, you can get help through the VA. So reach out to it. It's a resource, you know. Is there any sort of mental health tips or skills or things you've learned in doing the podcast? I imagine you get to hear all sorts of interesting information and good content. And uh, that's no, like business my, or my clients. I mean, I could talk about business all day, but or like best like how, you know, like how to freelance and how to manage your business, uh, especially for creative. So many creatives know how to do the creative side of stuff, but they don't understand the business side of it. And like what you need to do to really like build a community around your business. But no, for like the most of the podcasts I run, they're not, they don't do this kind of stuff. It's, it's mostly marketing. I, you know, I work with like marketing agent. I work with the marketing wing of a business or a professional association. So not that, but I did, it's not mental health, but I did work years, years ago. One of my first clients was a, uh, uh, it's dental, it's periodontal, periodontal 
practice and they uh after working on that podcast, I got really freaked out about, or I should say freaked out. I got overly worried about gum recession. So every time I see my dentist, I'm always like, do my gums look good? Are they receding? And him and his dental assistant, they both are like, why do you always ask if like your gums are fine? You have really good teeth. Like, why do you, why are you grillous about gum recession? So I always, I have to remind them like, cause I worked for that periodontal. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about gums all the time. Yeah. Everything was about gum recession. Mm-hmm. So. Do you have any tips for people starting a podcast? I know, you know, I feel like everybody wants to start a podcast these days. Almost doesn't matter the industry. You know, I think everybody feels like maybe they have a voice and maybe some do, maybe some don't. I don't know. What do you, what do you? Sure. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things yeah. I really like about podcasts are it's, it's a medium of the people and for the people like anybody can do a podcast. Now, the caveat with that is not everybody does it well. In fact, most people don't. So if you're going to do a podcast, you should really, you can't come from a perspective of like, man, I'm really witty and people love to hear me talk. That might be true, but that's within your social circle to get listeners invested in what you're saying or like what your podcast is about, you really have to think about like, what am I giving to my audience? What are they going to take away from it? What am I giving them in return for their time? So kind of parallel with that is like, you should find a niche to fill because if you're just going to blabber on about stuff and you think you could be Joe Rogan and talk about anything, that's not going to be the case. That, That guy was a comic for decades before he got into his thing. So he knows how to engage an audience. So I I like to tell people like an example is like, say you want to do a Star Wars podcast because I'm a nerd. And now guess how many many Star Wars podcasts are out there? Thousands. So you have to find a niche within that genre. Within the niche almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To really stand out. So maybe you have a podcast Mm -hmm. that's about Star Wars, but it's, it's about bounty hunters in Star Wars. Now that's a niche and that could get you a really good audience. The other thing I I say too, is like, be realistic. Odds are you're not going to get thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. Odds are you're not going to get ads like paid ads or sponsorships or stuff like that. So if you're going to do a podcast, do it because it's, it's a passion and you love it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you would do it if it was just, if to you, three listeners is the same as 300,000 listeners. Like you just like to do it. And if you can make a connection, great. Like, you know, one thing I like to tell people is like, say you get 50 downloads, like 50 people are checking out your podcast. Now, is that the same as like having 10,000 people checking out your podcast? No. But imagine if you had a room with 50 people in it that wanted to 50 people came there to hear what you had to say. You were going to have a conversation with someone. 50 people showed up. You'd be like, that's amazing. I didn't know. (laughs) That's great. 50 people showed up to listen to my thing. So the other thing too, as I would say, is like, get a dynamic microphone. Don't get a condenser mic. Most people record out of their homes or the offices and dynamic mics are more forgiving than condenser mics. And don't spend a ton of money. Everybody thinks they have to get the the Shure SM7B that costs $350. You need an audio interface to run that. That's going to cost another $100 to $200. You need a, a preamp that's going to actually power that mic because it requires a lot of power. So now you're looking at another 150 bucks. So don't do that. Don't spend a lot of money. The other side of it is most people like stop making their podcasts after a few episodes because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. So 
Yeah. So you're going to spend a thousand dollars on equipment and now you're not going to use it. So I say start off very affordable, get a USB microphone. The Samsung Q2U is a very affordable, versatile, dynamic mic. It doesn't cost a lot and you can record through your computer, do it remotely like we're doing. It's a little more, you could use it, you could do Zoom, but Zoom's not really built for podcasting. So it is better if you use a hosting service, but those are, yeah, those are some quick tips. So far, I like everything you're saying because I kind of feel like it's a thing that Ryan and I are following. You know, we both have, you know, Blue Yeti microphones and, you know, we just run it on this StreamYard platform, not spending a lot of money. You know, I don't care about how many listeners. If I get one and I, you know, touch somebody and affect some one person, yeah. that's all that really matters to us. If you're able to, to help one or two people make a difference in their life where they're like, hey, I started therapy because of the podcast, that's great. I started a podcast with a colleague of mine to help. Basically, it's a mentor podcast to help other freelance producers and editors and audio engineers. Like, how do you find clients? How do you run your business? How do you avoid bad clients? Like just just like the ins and outs of being a freelancer. And we've connected with like, you know, our, our downloads aren't great. We get like 50, 50 downloads per episode. But those 50 people all have remarked, made remarks. They email us. We do one-on-ones with them. We've made a really, like, that's all I care about. I just want to help somebody. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I just want to help. So I just want to be helpful. Yeah. And we knew that's it kinda... wasn't going to get a big audience. We knew that. Like, there's not not a lot of people do what we do. So, you know, I wasn't expecting a huge audience. It's great because of the podcasting community is actually how you found me. I put a post up up on uh, Reddit for a guest exchange, and I so appreciated you reaching out to me and sharing a little bit about your story with me. And I think that's what it's all about. And that's kind of why I'm like really happy because I feel like Ryan and I have found this niche little men's mental health community, you know, not just main mental health. I don't know how many men's mental health, you know, podcasts are out there, but I'm proud to support that, that small community. And I'm proud to, you know, meet people like you who are willing to talk about their story and share their struggles and trials and how they got to where they're at now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I didn't really like one of the things I've other vets and I have talked about is like, you join the military and you think there's going to be some like guidance and discipline and like, and you know, like the discipline side of it. Yeah, that, that happens, but there's no guidance. There's no mentorship. I remember I was really struggling when I was on float. Is that where you don't know exactly where you're going to be? No, some people don't, but like most of the time you do, like if you're on a ship, you know, the ports that you're going to hit approximately when and where. So there wasn't a ton of like up in the, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I was really I had such a negative voice in my head for so many years, just talking myself down really, really. I mean, to this day, I still have to fight it sometimes, but it was much worse when I was a kid. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it. You know, like I was just negative in my head and I was struggling. I was messing up a lot. I was getting in trouble. And, and this, uh, senior enlisted guy, I thought he was going to pull me in. He pulled me into a, a small room on the ship it like sat me down. I I remember thinking briefly like, oh, this guy's going to help me out. He can see I'm struggling. It wasn't quite that clear of a thought, but I just, that was the kind of what ran through my head was something like that. And he was like, what's going on? And I told him, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I should be in the military. I don't know what's wrong with me. And he like kind of sat there and put his, his uh, hand on his chin like this. And he was like, okay, okay. He's like, well, stand up. And I'm like, okay, I'll stand up. And he's like, he didn't quite say you're a fuck up, but he said something like that. He's like, and if you can't, if you can't get it together, I think the only thing we could do is make you do push-ups until you are tired. I was like, okay. So he made me get on the ground and I had to do like 
60 push-ups or something like that, you know, and I was like, and he's like, and if you, if you if I catch you doing anything like this again, it's going to be double next time and maybe, maybe worse. And I was like, okay, man. I was like, that's not what I needed. I needed help. I needed guidance or something. Like, there's just like, it's such a machine. They just churn you in, you just like pull you in and then spit you out. So that was a real problem. So like disappointing. Yeah, yeah. it was a real disappointment. I'm just like, fuck, I'm a kid. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. So when you posted that on there, Sky, I was like, cool, if I can help someone, if my story helps, you know, some kid, great, you know? Yeah. And that's what it's about for me. Just affecting one person is all that really matters to me. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, thank you so much for sharing your story and joining us and, you know, just having a conversation because that's what we love doing here. Yeah, no, this is great. I'm, I'm glad you guys are allowing, you know, guys to be vulnerable and share their stories and, and hopefully help someone who was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, man, if you're you're raised by a borderline parent, you know, or or growing up in an extremely invalidating environment, I mean, just I think, you know, letting people know that there's, you know, maybe that it's not their fault or, you know, that it, they shouldn't be responsible for their parents' emotions. And uh, yeah, and that's just a rough situation, you know, but, but I'm glad, I'm so glad that, you know, you got a therapist who knew what they were talking about and you've gotten the support and hopefully changing that, uh, that negative self-talk talk into uh, into some positive ones. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be, I need to get back into it. I was doing meditation for a long time. I was doing microdosing with meditation and that seemed to really help a lot. And, you know, now I just like, I just try to be positive and just say like, you know, if I start to feel that negative voice creep in, I'm just like, dude, you have such a good life. Like, don't let that shitty voice creep back in. It's trying to bring you down. Like, don't listen to it. And I will. And I'll just be like, Hey, you know what? You got a wonderful girlfriend who loves you. You have great friends. You have a successful business. Like you have a good reputation in town, you know, and it's like with like with my professional community and I'm a funny guy and like my, I try to help my neighbors out and they all appreciate me. And, and just, it's just like, I have dogs, you know, I love my dogs and just like, you have a good life. Like, don't let that crap creep in. That's your mom saying that shit. Don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have any questions for Ryan and I before we wrap this up today? No. Yeah. I just appreciate you guys putting a podcast like this out there, trying to help folks and putting that good energy out into the world. We need it. Well, thank you for coming on, Johnny. It was uh, it was definitely a pleasure to, to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. I appreciate it. Yeah. You could go on my website, Floors Podcast Productions, and I have a thing on there for to set up a meeting. I'm happy to give you guys an hour of my time just to like talk about like if you have questions about like anything, audience development, how to run your show, any of that stuff. So. Yeah, that would be sweet. You're a great uh, wealth of information. Johnny, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Your openness with us, your vulnerability has really been amazing. And, you know, just as somebody who doesn't really, I never served military to hear your story and to hear your progress and where you came from is really amazing and inspiring because it means that more people can be helped out there. So I really appreciate you sharing and I appreciate you so much being here. And then from Ryan and I, that is, I mean, that's it for this episode of Hey Man, It's Okay. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, check out our website, heymanitsokay.com. Okay is just okay, not O-K-A-Y. Please email us, contact us if you have any questions. If there's a topic that you want us to talk about, email us there and we'll try to find somebody who can talk about it or, you know, we've got our resident therapist who can maybe give you some help too. But from Sky and Ryan, until next time, everybody, it's okay to not be okay.